tonight, guys, we're continuing on in our study in the book of Mark, and uh, our focal passage is Mark 2, 18 through 3, 6. I'm not going to read all of that at this time. I want to do this morning, this type of preaching is called uh, run-on commentary, that you read a little bit and preach a little bit and read a little bit and preach a little bit, and we're going to do that this morning. But I do want to share a verse, so if you stand in God's great honor, our great God's honor. This is Galatians 5.1 in the New Living Version. Christ made us free. Stay that way. Do not get chained all over again in the law and its kind of religious worship. Let's pray. Master, thank you for taking my chains off. Father, by your Spirit, keep me from being chained all over again in legalistic stuff. Father, we just come before you. If you don't speak, nothing is said. Your word says it's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Father, thank you for speaking. You have spoken already. Continue to speak in this hour because, quite honestly, we need to hear from you. So, Lord, we just run to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There is a big difference between being religious and being redeemed. I was thinking about it. You've heard that phrase so often, and it applies to us in Christ. He's full of it. The question is, what is it? What is it? it? In this case, there are those who are religious, and here's the kind of stuff they say. Uh, um, one says, uh, it says, look at me. But the redeemed say, look at Jesus Christ. The religious say, see what I do? The redeemed say, look what he has done. And guys, there's a big difference. Listen, this is 2 Timothy 3, 5 in the Contemporary English Bible. They look like religious people, but deny God's power. Avoid people like this. You see, it can happen in any body of believers. We can be touched by Jesus and, and, and start out well and then fall into a rut where we just show up, where we continue to meet week after week, but don't meet Jesus. We need to meet Jesus. We don't just need to meet, we need to meet Him. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus gives this warning to the church at Ephesus. I'm going to read just a couple of verses. It's Revelation 2, verses 2 through 5, he says, I know your deeds. In other words, he said, man, I know what you're up to. I've seen you. You, you want to serve. Your hard work, and it wasn't just a little bit of service. They were working hard in your perseverance. They were toughing it out in difficult times. 
Sometimes things don't always go sweet and rosy in church. But he says, but I've watched you. You stayed at it. So this is good news. And then he goes on and he talks about how they tested those who claimed to be apostles, but they were found false. That they persevered through hardships for the name of Christ. And they haven't grown weary. They haven't just said, forget about it. Man, that's some great commendations. And then comes these words. Something happened to them. Verse 4, it says, Yet I hold this against you. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Something happened. That love encounter with the Creator, with the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And we are all redeemed if we are in Christ. But something happened and they lost that love. They they lost that that first experience that they had with Christ. And and now suddenly they become religious instead of remembering that they are redeemed. And so Jesus goes on and gives this warning to the church. He says, consider how far you have fallen. So what's he saying? He says, man, you guys need to do an analysis. You need to do a self-examination. Consider where you are. Repent. Do the things you did at first. He says, you need to go back. Remember why you are meeting. Remember who I am. Remember what I have done for you. Remember what I am doing now for you. And then he says these words. He gives this warning. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. In other words, if you lose your love for me, you are in great danger of losing your testimony for me. Because it is not about merely being religious. It is about remembering that you are redeemed. You see, the Pharisees, they lost sight of loving God. And they substituted love for God for being religious. For walking straighter than everybody else. And not letting anybody see when they walked a little crooked. They became proud and full of themselves. And they created what would be known as a generation of laws. They would take the laws that were in the Jewish Talmud and they would add to those laws so they could look good, so others could see them. And we're going to look at that this morning as we go through our text. First, I want you to see the problem with piety. List verse 18 where we start, Mark 2.18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? So these high-tootin'-falutin' religious nuts look at Jesus and the disciples. Well, you know our Pharisaical laws. Well, let me just make a point at this. The actual Talmud said, Once a year you fast. The Day of Atonement. But they wanted to look religious. 
So what did they do? They kept increasing those days until they would fast every Monday and every Thursday. And not only would they fast, they'd get up early in the morning. They would cover their faces with white flour. And they would make sure that their hair was messed up. and They would look all gloomy. And, and like they're making a tremendous sacrifice for the Lord our God. That was the game they played. And they wanted to know, how come, Jesus, you're not playing the game? Why are you acting different? Why are you not following the status quo? And Jesus responds, verse 19, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them, but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. You see, a, a wedding in that day when a couple came together as husband and wife, they didn't have a lot of cash to go on these big honeymoon trips. And so what they would do is they would take a week off from their hard lives and the work, and they would celebrate. They would have close friends and family, and they would spend that time together celebrating the joining together of a man and a woman and a family. And, and it, it was a time of joy in a difficult life. And Jesus is saying here, why do you want to go around acting like you've been baptized in pickle juice? Why do you want to look so sour and sore? I am here! The Messiah is with you. Do not miss me. And, and that is the point that he is making. And that's a point to be made to us. May we not lose the joy of our salvation. May we remember who we are and whose we are because of the work of Jesus Christ and His glory. Do not lose that joy. Then he goes on, he shares some other illustrations as he drives points home to these religious nuts. <laughs> No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. You see, if, if you took that patch and sewed it on uh, the garment, that unshrunk cloth, when it would wash, it would shrink and cause a tear in the garment, thus not being a solution to the problem, but creating another problem. And then he gives a second illustration, verse 22. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. The wineskins were made of goat skin, carefully sewed so that they could hold the wine. But if you put new wine in an old wineskin, those gases would come and cause the wineskin to burst. So Jesus is making a point before then. He says, just like the cloth, just like the wineskin, this is not a matter of just patching up your religious system. You see, I have come to do more than just fix what you guys have put in place with all of your laws 
that are making it intolerable for people who want to worship the living God. There is no sense of love. There is only a sense of duty among God's people. And Jesus has come to say, I didn't come just to continue that same system and just fix it a little bit. Jesus said, I have come to do something new. And he was making that point before these religious leaders who wanted the attention instead of giving the attention to whom it deserved, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's look at the problem with regulations. Uh, verse 23, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. You see, the welfare system in that day, you could go to the fields and the poor could go to the edge of the fields and they could not use a sickle or a tool to uh, remove the grain, but they could pick up loose grain as much as they could place in their hands and that was allowed. It was a type of welfare system in that day for the impoverished. But these guys, they did not want to obey the strictness of what the law really said, but they wanted them to obey what had been added by these religious leaders, by these nuts. So in verse 24, he says, The Pharisees said to him, Why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And see, here, here's the problem that had happened to these guys on the Sabbath. They had worked so hard to make sure that they were obeying the Sabbath and that they were keeping the Sabbath, that they made the Sabbath holy and in doing so forgot the purpose of the Sabbath. Why the Sabbath was there. And, and then in verse 26 of Mark chapter 2, <laughs> Jesus really nails them. He mentions one of their spiritual heroes, one of their ancestors, King David, and he brings up a time in David's life where David and his men were hungry, and they ended up going into the place of Abathar, the high priest, and they ate the consecrated bread there. And hey, that was near blasphemy. This is the stuff of priests. This is the stuff that is sacred. You can't eat that stuff. But when Jesus made the point, they had to sit back and realize when David and his men who were hungry and had this greater need, and they ate the consecrated bread, God didn't say, you know, this is holy stuff, guys. Zap, 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 zap. And he didn't just take them out. No. God, in his mercy, allowed that need to be met. And suddenly, that consecrated bread was not as important as the need of the consecrated people that God wanted to touch and to meet the need. You see, the Mosaic system said, don't work on the Sabbath day. And there were reasons for this. Number one, if you work seven days a week, you know, I used to always hear, it's better to burn out than rust out. Well, let me tell you something. When you're out, you're out. If you rust out or you burn out, you're still out. And who wants to be out? And so one of the reasons for the Sabbath is to be refreshed. Hey, to get some rest. And that is critical. That is important. And another reason for that is because of greed. Man, you need a day to get before God and reevaluate. Why do I do this? And it's so easy day after day to go to work time after time after time. And you've got to have more and more and more. And so the Sabbath allowed there 
to be a time of rest and a time to reevaluate their work. But the Pharisees, man, they added 39 categories to work. They didn't want to just say don't work. They wanted to tell you what that meant. So I'll give you just a few examples of these. Um, one of them, when it says no work, it meant you could not plow. Uh, that was a kind of son law. And then they had a grandson law, and it said you could not plow because you could not work. Then you could not create a furrow in the ground. So then they had a great grandson law to add to that. And the great grandson law said you could not drag a chair across the ground because the legs of it would make a furrow in the dirt, and that would be digging, and that would be plowing. Or to carry a burden. They said, uh, you know, to carry a burden, they kept adding, law, adding laws until they got to a great-grandson tradition that said a tailor could not carry a needle and a scribe could not carry a pen. You see, they were, they were missing the point of grace. In their effort to appease God, in their effort to be somebody, they were missing God. And, and let me use an illustration to kind of bring this home because it can be hard to, to grasp. But if you want to destroy an acorn, there's two ways to do it. You can take an acorn and put it on a table and get you a hammer and smash it into pieces. Or you can take that acorn and you can place it in the ground and that acorn changes in death. It becomes a tree that takes root and then a massive oak tree. And in this case, the Pharisees were worshiping the acorn and Jesus wanted to grow the acorn into something far more magnificent. That was his desire. That was what he came to do. And then, guys, there was also a problem with traditions. Uh, let's go over to chapter 3 now, first two verses. Another time, Jesus went in the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Now, that word watch means they were looking out of the corner of their eye. They wanted to, this rascal, he's going to do it again. He's going to break our precious traditions and laws. You just watch. And, you know, it almost looks like They've almost planted this guy at the door. He's got the shriveled hand. And one of the books of the Apocrypha, uh, which I don't know if it's true because the Apocrypha is not Scripture, so we don't know, but it had attributed his uh, vocation to being a stonemason. You know, it's hard to be a stonemason with a shriveled hand. But whether or not that's true, I don't know, but how could he work with a shriveled hand? So this guy had quite a burden. He had a lot to deal with. So what's Jesus going to do with this guy with a shriveled hand? And you're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. Look at verse 3. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand. I love it. Because this guy, he's sitting in the back. He's not even supposed to be there. And he's like, what's he doing there? His hand's shriveled because he's a sinner. That's why he's here. I can just hear him now. Ignore him now. I can just see Jesus. He points back to the guy. Hey, you there, guy with a shriveled hand, come on down. <laughs> oh, 
oh man, I love and they're they're oh, I can't oh no, what's he gonna do now? What's he gonna do? I love what he does, man. Stand up in front of everyone. He comes down. They had these laws. They were like, you can't even use medicine. It's the Sabbath. If you're hurt, you've got to tough it out for that day. You're not going to get any relief or comfort. This is obeying God. This is being holy and spiritual. Man, Jesus doesn't want this guy to suffer one more second. He sees him and he says, come down. And He comes down for a specific reason, and that is to receive healing. And I love it because Jesus, I love the way he uses questions. Look at verse 4. He talks to him. Jesus asks them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remain silent. You see, they had a dilemma. If they said it's lawful to do good, then he'd say, well, then I'm glad you're with me. Let's heal this guy. Oh, I won't say that. Now, if they said the opposite, if they say it's not lawful to do good on the Sabbath, then they would be agreeing that it's lawful to do harm on the Sabbath. So they remain silent. Jesus, is it lawful to save a life or to kill? They're stumped. They're sitting there. And Jesus turns his full attention to this hurting man. Look at verse 5. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Man, wouldn't it have been awesome to be there and <laughs> to see this guy's withered hand restored. I love the picture that he's given. By the way, uh, the tense of the word anger is temporary. So it says when he looked at them in anger, it is not saying he stayed angry, but he was hurt. He was angry at what they had become. But it's interesting because the other word, that is used, grief, is permanent. It's not temporary. He was deeply distressed. That didn't go away. Jesus stayed deeply distressed over people who were putting their religion over a need for redemption. Jesus touched him. Now, I believe that the motto over that synagogue door, if they had one, they could write up there, would say, we've always done it this way. God spare us from that motto. Whenever I say God has to do it this way, I'm putting God in a box. God doesn't need my box. God doesn't need any box. He is God. You know, it, it, it always amazes me when people, you know, they give, they give all these things. Well, you know, how could God do that? He's God! I may not be an intellect, but I got that much. If, a, if God can speak and create everything, don't you think he can handle whatever that is? 
He is God. You see, they were so blinded by their traditions, they missed the healing of a man. They missed the work, the presence, the power of the living God because they were caught up in doing it the way they've always done it before. And maybe God wants to do something powerful and miraculous in our midst, and it may be totally different than anything He has ever done at Kingsway Baptist Church before. So my prayer is that if I'm in the way, get me out of the way, and same for all you guys, because I want to see God. I don't want to miss the healing because he doesn't follow my rules and my protocol, you know. And so that, that's true. And uh, years ago, one church that I served, back in those days they had Baptist days. I can't remember now if it was a Baptist men's day or a women's day, but it was a Baptist day. And, and the whole service, I didn't preach, but, you know, there were testimonies and I tell you, it scared me to death because by the time we got near the end of the service, it was clear to me that what we were doing was worshiping how it used to be. Oh, they talked about different... And and look, I want to celebrate the past. I don't have a problem with that. But I don't think God calls us to live in the past because when you worship the past, you forfeit the future. We can't live on what happened 25 years ago. We need to live in the presence of Jesus Christ right now. And we need to ask God to grab a hold of our hearts and show us what to do tomorrow and what he wants to do. Now, let's look at the response of the Pharisees here. Um, First, they left furious and angry. says they went out. They were ticked. (laughs) Jesus did not follow their rules. They were the high and mighty in that place. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Only God is high and mighty. None of us are. I'm, I'm not, you're not, but our God, he is. So that's the first thing. They left furiously. Secondly, they began to organize a death plot. We got to take this guy out. He is grabbing all the headlines, and all we're getting is... And that's not cutting it. (laughs) And then thirdly, they formed an alliance. Verse 6, it says, The Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. What's interesting is these guys were naturally enemies. They didn't get along. But they came together because they had a common cause. We got to get rid of Jesus. Isn't that sad? They couldn't get along about anything. And then what they want to get along about is the only hope they have to get on. They missed it. They missed it. So I got to close here with some application. It's 12 o'clock. And I remember one church I went to see. It was a, 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 a really big church in my hometown. And I, <laughs> I'm wasting time with this, but I'll tell it anyway. So I went and looked. They had redone the whole sanctuary. And I came up to the pulpit. And a friend of mine said, what do you think? Isn't wouldn't you love to preach here? And I said, I don't know. He said, what do you mean? He said, I look down this pulpit, and they got a big old clock right here. <laughs> I'm not sure I like that. Anyway, I need to go on with the sermon. <clears throat> uh, application from the Pharisees. First, first, we should learn the fair, from the Pharisees, piety is never a substitute for spirituality. You see, piety is based on who's watching. George think I'm holy? No, I don't. 
but I keep doing it anyway. Tammy knows better, so it's no problem. <laughs> but I mean, piety is based on other people watching you. Spirituality, true spirituality, is based on understanding God is watching over us. So we learned that from the Pharisees. Secondly, lesson from the Pharisees, regulations can be protective, but they're never productive. You see, regulations have a place. For example, you know, it says, do not get drunk on wine. Well, that's protective. Why not? Because you do stupid things when you get drunk on wine, you know, so it's like, don't do that. But man, if we're always constantly thinking about what we shouldn't do, it's not so productive in leading us to what we should do, which is to be ambassadors for Christ. As we talked about a few weeks ago, ministers of reconciliation. So regulations are protective, but it's got to go beyond the regulations. For it to be productive, we have to understand the gospel has to be the centerpiece of the church. Of why we meet. It's our mission. So, Christ's teaching, and then we'll wrap this thing up here. Uh, from Christ's perspective, first, we learn that Christianity is a replacement, not an addition. I love Tony Evans' words. Jesus Christ didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. Jesus didn't come to change Merely the way we do church, he came to change us. He came to transform us. He came to redeem us. He came to give us hope. He came to give us purpose. And it all, it all makes a difference. Matter of fact, you know, here's a thing sometimes I think we evangelicals do get wrong. I'm afraid we put so much emphasis on encountering Jesus for the first time that we forget that we need to encounter him time and time and time and time again. We need to encounter him every day. Once is not enough. Once may get us into heaven, but once isn't going to keep us close while we're here. Man. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And then secondly, last point here, Christianity never lives in the past lives for the future. Now, many of the things we do now, we take for granted, but you know, they had a starting place. I'm thankful for Martin Luther, who made a change in the church. He brought into congregational sing singing a thing called four-part harmony. And it changed the church. Because voices were blended together for the glory of God. I'm thankful for a guy named William Carey, who lived in an age where people said, well, God's in charge of everything. If he wants a person to be saved, he'll make sure they're saved. But all we have to do is just wait for him to get saved. And William Carey said, no, that's not right. Jesus has given us a great commission. We're going to go out. And so he went out without support to India, and he was the father of a thing we now know as foreign missions. Well, now we call it international missions. But the point is, it's missions out there. Thankful for William Carey. Another guy I'm thankful for is William Tyndale. And another guy, John Wycliffe. What did they do? They ended up getting uh, martyred for it. This sounds crazy. They'd get martyred for it. 
but they put the Bible in language that the common people could read. Before that point, you look down at the Bible, this is in a language I don't know. Well, it's hard to grow in your faith if you can't read it. They put the Bible in a language that the common people could understand. I am thankful for that. Man, I am grateful. I have enough trouble with languages to think I'd have to learn a whole bunch of languages to read my Bible. Love trust people who've been with God and put it in, in our simple minds so we can get it. Uh, all right, and then another one. C.T. Studd, who was in the Anglican Church, and I love this quote. Here's what's, what C.D. Studd said. He said, Some wish to live within the sound of a church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue ship within a yard of hell. Man, I, I am thankful for new ideas and that we don't have to live in the past. We don't have to say, oh, we want to go back to the great day of Kingsway Baptist Church, you know, whatever that is, or whatever church. I just say Kingsway because that's us. Man, our best day is ahead. It's not behind. God does not want us to live only in the past. But he has taken our past and our sins, and he gives us the power to live now in him and to have a brighter future. So, uh, as I close, uh, let's evaluate our walk with Christ. Would you say, I used to be close to the Lord. The Bible used to be alive. I can remember a day when I would study the Bible. It was great. I used to tell people about Jesus Christ, but I don't do it anymore. Why? God does not call us to live in the past. He calls us to live now and to be ready for tomorrow. You see, the only way to do that, though, Jesus can't be added to my life. Jesus has to be my life. Let's pray. Father, how grand you are, Lord. It's so easy to get chained up in our religious kind of worship. But, Father, what we need is not religion. We need redemption. So, Father, I pray among us that if one has a religion, but not redemption, not relationship with the God of all, now would be a great time for that to change. Bring anyone here who needs to come for the first time, who will right where they stand and say, God, I, I'm just sick of this religion stuff. I want you. And so if any here or any listening to us, that's the case. Today is the day of salvation. What a great day. Trust him, believe on him, and you will find new life. Uh, Father, for those of us who have, who have been in the faith uh, for a while, uh, Father, maybe we've got burdened and chained all over again in religiosity and keeping rules and regulations and traditions and all that. Set us free. Remind us, Lord, that our goodness is not tied to our performance but to the provision of the cross and that power proven through a resurrection. Oh, God, restore us. <laughs> Father, that is so key, so critical. So, Father, uh, move among us, and this time we call invitation, Lord. 
that you might get glory. In whose name we pray, that of Jesus. Amen.